Remember last week I started a message on true freedom. And I got through about five points of it. And um, I said, well, I've got two others that I need to, to go ahead and finish. Of course, I didn't want to get through too quick, so I added two more. So now I've got four points that I need to, to share with you. I'm going to give a quick review uh, of, uh, of the five things that I mentioned last week. And then I'm going to get, uh, uh, spend the rest of my time on the four new truths that God has given you. You know, I know people that are in prison, and we say, well, you know, Brother Fred, they've lost their freedom. And they have. They're not free to come and go. They're not free to just do anything they want to do. They're, they're imprisoned. And you say, well, they're not free. No, they're not. But you know what? I know people that live in a nice home, have a nice car, live in a nice neighborhood. But you know what? They're not free. They're in bondage. You know, freedom is when you're free from the control or another, of another or of something else. And so if you're not free from the control of another or free from the control of something in your life, you're not free. And you don't have to be in prison to be not free, to be bound or in bondage. And the Bible speaks of true freedom and that true freedom is really found in the person of Jesus Christ. I want us to look at these verses. John chapter 8, verse 31. They'll be on the screen for you. But he's talking about freedom. And in the 31st verse of John 8, Jesus said, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, if you hear what I say and order your life by what I say, it's not just hearing my word, but you abide in my word. If you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. Then over in verse uh, 38, I believe it is, uh, where it says about Jesus. Uh, I believe it's the 38th verse. Let me look and see. It's the 36th verse. Look at what he said. In verse 36, therefore, if the Son, Jesus, if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. And then over in John 15, 7, there is an awesome word, verse that just lays truth on top of this. In the 15th chapter of John, the 7th verse, uh, I want you to listen to what it says. He says, Jesus is speaking here. Now, notice the words. He said in John 15, 7, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you, you will ask what you will, what you desire, and it shall be granted to you. So I want you to think about how Jesus talks about freedom. He said, if you continue in my word, You'll know the truth. You're my disciples indeed. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Then he said, if the Son of God sets you free, you're free indeed. 
And then over in John 15, 7, he said the same thing. If you abide in me, now listen to what he said, and my words abide in you. You can ask what you desire, and it will be granted to you. I said last week, and I'm going to say this just in passing, that true freedom comes from abiding in Christ. And that word abide. You know, Jesus in John 15 said, I'm the vine and you're the branch. If you abide in me, you shall bear much fruit. You know and I know that the, the, uh, the branch gets its life from the vine. I'm the vine, Jesus said. You're a branch. And my life flows from the vine to you. Now, I'm telling you that true freedom is found in abiding. I didn't say believing in. I didn't say knowing about. I said that true freedom comes from abiding in Christ and allowing his word to operate in you. Listen, you get outside the word of God and you don't operate within the word of God and then you soon find yourself all hung up and all bound. So it's not only believing in Jesus, it's abiding in him. What does that mean? That he's your life. Where does the branch get its life? From the vine. I'm the vine, you're branch. And so the life of Jesus flows into you by the Holy Spirit. And so freedom comes from not just knowing about Jesus, but abiding in Jesus. And you know, uh, that's where life is. You see, abiding in Christ means that you surrender to him. Now, the Bible says that Jesus is Lord. It makes it very clear. For this reason, Christ died, rose, and lives again, that he might be Lord of the dead and the living. So if I'm going to abide in Christ, I have to turn the control of my life over to Jesus. You say, Brother Fred, I don't want to turn my life over to the control of anyone. Well, then you go ahead and mess it up. You can mess it up royally. I want you to know that. You can mess it up big time. The only one who'll keep you from messing up your life is when Jesus is in control of your life. And it's called surrender. Yield yourself to God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Abiding in Christ means being surrendered to him. It means trusting him. It means that you look to Jesus in every situation of your life. Let me tell you one of the tragedies of this, of the, of this culture. We have compartmentalized life. Well, here's my work life, and here's my family life, and here's my social life, and here's my spiritual life. Nothing could be further from the truth. For a child of God, your life is not compartmentalized. Jesus is to be Lord of your work life. And Jesus is to be Lord of your married life. And Jesus is to be Lord of your social life. Don't think for one moment that I really discharge my spiritual duties when I'm in church on Sunday. Let me tell you something. The Christian life is 24-7, and abiding in Christ means that any time, in any situation, you look to Jesus to be the strength of your life because Christ lives in you. You know, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the and I am the life. 
truth and life. You can't separate them. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. So Jesus said, I'm not only the way, I'm the truth and I'm the life. Did you know that the life of abiding in Christ is the only really satisfying life? See, we, people have believed the lie that if you get the right things, live in the right house, marry the right person, raise your kids right, they're saying, well, you know, uh, if I can just uh, be a success, and I don't want anybody to be a failure. They say, you know, that, that will satisfy me. I found this out. Things can't satisfy you. They can't satisfy you. I found out another thing. Your relationship with another people, as important as it is, if you look to someone else to satisfy you instead of Jesus, you made a big mistake. Now, Jesus won't disappoint you, but people will. And so what we, listen, listen to what the Word of God says. In John 6, talks about how satisfying the life of Jesus is. Man, it's, it's just so, so easy to understand. Look at John 6, 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. You know, when you're hungry, you know, bread satisfies you. Did you know that? You know what will really satisfy you? To get some fresh tomatoes and a lot of mayonnaise and put it on two slices of bread and you will have a nervous breakdown. I cannot go to bed at night without eating a tomato sandwich. You say, what, when the, what about when the tomatoes are gone? I'm going to import some from somewhere. But he said, I am the bread of life. You need to be satisfied in the deepest part of your being. I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He said, I'm the only one that can satisfy the deepest need of your life. If you come to me, you will never hunger. You can be a millionaire. You can drive a Bentley. You can have everything the world has to offer. And I am telling you, you can be as empty, as empty as a garbage can after the garbage collectors have come. Only Jesus can satisfy the deepest needs of your life. I know that to be true. I'm telling you. He said, I'm the bread of life. If you come to me, you'll never hunger. And if you believe in me, he says, uh, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me that never, shall never hunger. And he that believes in me shall never thirst. Hey, you know what it is to be hungry? You know what it is to be thirsty? But you know what it is to satisfy that hunger? only thing to do it is food. You know what it is to satisfy that thirst? Jesus said, listen, I, I'm, the one that, I'm the only one that can satisfy you. You're going to be empty. You're going to be searching. You're going to be looking until you come to me as the bread of life. In verse 48 of John, he says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven and the, the, that you may eat it and not die. He said, Jesus said, I'm telling you, abide in me. Let my word abide in you. You'll know the truth and you're going to be free. You're going to find satisfaction, satisfaction when Christ is in control of your life and living through you. John 7, I want you to look at a couple of verses there. 
These are some of my favorite verses. I only have a thousand, but here's one of them. Now listen at this. Talking about living water coming out of us. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Jesus said, you're thirsty. You're looking for real life. You're not looking for form. You're not looking for ritual. You're not looking for religion. You're looking for life. If you're thirsty, come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You know, abiding in Christ is the only life that's satisfied and is the only life that is truly, truly free. Now, I'm going to run through the five, just give you one verse in each one that I did last week. Here's the first one. Freedom from sin, Jesus sets us free from sin so that we can live a righteous and holy life. The scripture, Romans 6, it'll be on the screen, Romans 6, 18 through 22. Jesus sets us free from sin so we can live a righteous and holy life. All right, look at verse 18. And having, of Romans 6, having been set free from sin, you've been set free. You become servants of righteousness. All right, verse 20. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have in those things of which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now listen to this. But now, having been set free from sin, you have become servants of God, and you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. Jesus sets us free so we can live a righteous and holy life. Number two, Jesus sets us free from a life of self-centeredness and selfishness to a life of giving and service. I love what Jesus said, uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 19. You know what he said? He's talking about in Christ. He said, he said, for in Christ, I am free from all men. He said, I'm not trying to impress men. I'm, I'm not wanting the success or acclaim of men. I'm not looking to man. In Christ, I'm free from all men. But I have made myself the servant of all. He said, I'm free in Jesus. But my freedom is not about me. My freedom is that I am free to love others. I'm free to serve others. I'm free to minister to others. I'm free to care about others. You, you, you see, Jesus came to set us free from a life of self-centeredness, you know, and selfishness. And he gave us, he said, I, I, I'm setting you free, but then I want you to make yourself the servant. And I want you to learn how to live a life of giving and sharing and caring and ministering. Hey, you, you know when your life goes, gets, uh, just living for yourself as a small circle. But man, when you die to yourself and you say I'm free from all men but I'm a ser I've made myself servant of all then your life just takes on a whole new world where you're loving and caring and giving and ministering
to other people. And that's where satisfaction comes from. The third thing is this. Jesus set us free from our fears to the freedom of security. Over 200 times the Bible says, fear not. You know why? Because fear is our biggest enemy. Fear not, it says 200 times in the word of God. But just let me tell you what. Jesus came, comes to live in us, to set us free from a life of fear to a life of security. I love 2 Timothy 1.7. What a powerful verse. I want you to listen to this. The Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I believe every day fear knocks at your door. Every day fear will knock at my door. Well, what if? What if? What if? What if? Fear loves to knock at our door and make us uncertain and make us insecure. But we answer, I don't, the what ifs of life are not my concern because God has not given me the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. I tell you two verses. You, you talking about security? You talking about being secure? Hebrews chapter 13. Man, you talk about security. I'm going to start reading in verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Boy, this is a hard one. Be content with such things as you have. Now, are you ever content? You know, I, I, that's been one of my problems in life. I'm always wrestling, you know. So I got this car and I want another car. Well, that's, why don't I just keep the car I've got? You understand? You say, that's a weakness, Brother Fred. It's worse than that. But anyway, I'm just telling you. You know, and... And I'm not going to pick on my wife. She says, I don't like that chair in the living room. That's a nice chair. I'm telling you, it is a good chair. It's comfortable. I look at her and say, honey, houses are made to live in, not to look at. Please forgive me, Ann, and I'll make it right when I get home. <laughs> but you've got to be content. Have you ever found how hard it is to be content? He says here, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. Just be content. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Boy, that knocks the fear in the head. Jesus said, I want to tell you one thing. You're my child. I'll never leave you. And I'll never forsake you. Then look at the next verse 6. I will say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. And then you look down at verse 8. Oh, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus came to set us free from a life of fear to a life of security. All right? Then Jesus came to set us free from a life of worry to the freedom of trust and peace. Now, there's a difference between fear and worry. Fear is when you just worry, when you're just afraid of something. You're, you're afraid, and it, and it just kind of paralyzes you. And that fear is constantly before you. And that's wrong, but, but you can, Jesus will set you free from that and give you security because he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, and I'm not giving you that spirit of fear. I've given you the spirit of power. But then you come to worry. Worry is another thing. You know, you see, you either worry, you either do two, two things with what's on your plate. You never know what's going to be on your plate when you get up, do you? You never know. 
Anything could get on your plate today. My son called me yesterday uh, and said, you know, Laura, my granddaughter, was in a wreck. It was a bad wreck. She had four people in the car with her. Out of nowhere, everything was fine and a big wreck. Thank God not, not, not one of them was seriously hurt. Praise the name of Jesus. But it just showed me, hey, boy, it just like I had a sinking feeling. I wasn't, I wasn't uh, expecting that to be on my plate. But the thing about it is, you know, what you, what you can do is this. When something comes on your plate, you're going to do one or two things about it, good or bad. You're going to worry about it or you're going to pray about it. I'm telling you, you can worry about it. If, if things are not right in your marriage, if things are not right with your children, if things are not right at your work, hey, listen to me. If you've got financial concerns, let me say one thing. There's nothing wrong with being concerned about your marriage or your kids or your finances or your job. Concern is good, but concern always leads to prayer. You, you, know, you know the difference between worry and concern? Concern, you pray about it. Worry, you worry about it. You just worry about it. I think I'll go ahead and just worry a while. I ain't got nothing else to do. I'm just going to worry. Hey, I got many concerns, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Worry is a dead-end street. You know where the word worry, worry comes from? I, I shouldn't tell you this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. <laughs> worry comes from the word wortham, the Latin word wortham, which means to grab by the throat and choke the life out of. Has worry ever had you by the throat and choked the life out of you? It'll do it. Jesus came. Let me give you the verse. Now listen to it. This is what God says to do when something's on our plate that we have concern about. Philippians 4, 6. No verse could be no verses could be more complete than these verses. And, and, and take them to heart and act on them. Act on them. Don't just read them and go forget about them. No, no, say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to act on this. This is what I'm going to do when there are things on my plate. He says in Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing. He says, don't worry about anything. Just don't worry about it. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer. He said, pray and supplication. Just keep crying out to God till the answer comes. Pour your heart out to God. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. I had a person say to me one time, I feel guilty when I pray about things in my life. I said, man, why? You don't, you don't know the Bible. Jesus, the Bible says in Philippians here, let your request be made known to God. He wants you to talk to him about them. So be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And then, boy, it says it. It says, and the peace of God, which passes all it says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, wow, which passes all understanding. How in the world can you have peace when your marriage is in that kind of shape? How in the world can you have peace 
when your daughter or son's wayward? How in the world can you have peace when you got more money going out than, than you got money coming in? How in the world can you have peace when the doctor tells you that you have cancer? How in the world can you have peace when, when everything around? Listen, it says, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard your heart. You know the major cause of heart attacks? Stress. Oh, yeah. They'll tell you more than eating uh, sausage and more than, uh, they'll tell you that uh, stress, stress, that's a major factor in heart attacks. It really is. And it says that the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind, your mind through Christ Jesus. Christ sets us free from a life of freedom, a life of worry to a life of freedom. Then there was one other one. I'm doing good here on the time. It says, Christ sets us free from bitterness and unforgiveness to a life of kindness and forgiveness. I'm just going to read one verse to you. We all have to deal with bitterness. We've all been disappointed. We often have to, all have to deal with unforgiveness because we've been hurt. So we deal with it. So what does the Bible say? Jesus sets us free. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32, listen to what it says. It says in verse 31, it means exactly what it says. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you. Be put away from you with all malice. By the power of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, you put that out of your life. You make a deliberate choice. By the power of Jesus and his holy blood and the Holy Spirit, I refuse to be bitter and I refuse to be angry and I refuse to, uh, to argue and to speak evil. I, I just refuse that. In Jesus' name, I will not allow that in my life. It will try to get in your life, but you don't have to allow it in. And that's what he says. And be kind. See, Jesus sets us free from bitterness and anger, unforgiveness, and be kind to one another. Kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Man, I, I love to be around people that are tenderhearted. I don't like to be around people that are callous and hard-hearted. You know, I mean, I, what do you, why do you want to be callous? Why do you want to be hard-hearted for well, it's their fault. Well, it's always my fault, too. You mean it's never your fault? Well, they, they made their bed. They got to sleep in it. Well, you ever made your bed up wrong? It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. It's called forgiveness. It's called being free, free to love and free from bitterness. All right, now here are the new ones I didn't get to last week. Number six, true freedom. Jesus sets us free from addiction and bondage to a life of power and self-control. Now stay with me. Jesus Christ, when he comes to lives in, uh, live in us, sets us free from a life of addiction and bondage 
to a life of power and self-control. Did you know something? The practice of any sin always leads to the bondage to that sin. In other words, there's a sin in your life that you practice, and you practice, and you practice, and you practice. Well, it's not long that uh, you find yourself out of control with that sin, and you find yourself in bondage to that sin. You say, Brother Fred, does the Bible teach that, that when you commit sin, that eventually you become its slave? Eventually you become its servant? It sure does. In uh, John 8, 34, it says uh, these words. In John 8, 34, it says, Whoever commits sin, Jesus, I said, Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Hey, the Bible says that sin will enslave you. Doesn't matter what it is. You practice it, you become its slave. Same thing is said in Romans chapter 6, verse 20. It's amazing how the Bible just from different places supports the same thing. Romans 6.20 says, For when you were slaves of sin, I'm reading the word of God. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You know, it kind of goes like this. There's a thought. And you receive the thought. And then, having thought that and received the thought, you make a choice. Okay. And then, once you make that choice, then you commit the act, whatever it is. Physical, mental, whatever. But it started back here when you let that thought take up lodging in your heart. And you soon find yourself making a choice. And then... Uh, you, you actually did what you thought about. And then you do it again. And you do it again, and it becomes habit. And then it not only becomes a habit, but it becomes a stronghold. Now, when you, when you received that thought and, and made that choice, you never dreamed you'd get to the place that you'd be out of control there that you'd find yourself saying, I'm never going to do that again, but you do. I'm never going there again, but you do. I'm not going to let that in my eyes, but you do. I'm not going to, you know what happens? Whoever commits sin becomes its slave. It becomes its servant. And you find that you're not in control, you're out of control. There are two very meaningful advertisements. Most of the advertisements on television you don't, it ain't worth watching. But let me tell you about these two. It's all about our rehabilitation center. And the first picture is of a man. And, and he, looks, he looks just healthy and normal. And he said, you know, I was doing fine. But I began to drink. And the more I, my work was so stressful. And the more I drank, the more I drank. 
And my life began to unravel. And his face begins to change on the television. And he's, he's aging right before your eyes. And he says, now, my life, and I'm, I'm, I'm ad-libbing, I'm, I'm not using this example. Now my life is a wreck. And I need help. And by that time, his whole complexion has changed. And you can tell he's bound. Well, the other one is a teenager. And they, you know, I, I thought, well, you know, they tell me it's quite a high when you use meth or whatever it was. He said, you know, I thought I'd try it one time. And I did. And I did it again. And I did it again. And all of he's changing. And finally he says, I need help. I'm a drug addict. You, you, you look at that when you see those, and you can see the change. Let me tell you something, friend. Whatever you sow, you reap. And you don't play around with sin. I know you think, Brother Fred, you're an alarmist. No, let me tell you one thing. I've been living long enough to know that the devil plays for keeps. And you don't play around with sin. I'll tell you one thing. You say, well, I, I don't watch full-blown pornography, but... I watch programs where the theme of that program is adultery or the theme of that program is immorality. And it's always, have you ever, is, are there any programs on TV where the husband loves his wife and is faithful to her and can't wait to get home? If you find one, would you call me, please? No, everybody's running around with some other woman. That's all that's on television. I mean, that's, I mean, that's all it is. You know what I had? I couldn't believe this. This happened about two weeks ago. I was talking to this couple. And this young man grew up in our church. And, and, uh, and I asked, I said, well, I saw him. And I shook his hand. He's a fine. I said, well, how, how's he doing? He said, pretty good. I said, oh, that, that's his wife. No, no, that's not his wife. They've been living together 10 years. I said, well, why don't he marry her? He says he thinks the thrill of it will be gone. Whether you're married or not, his thrill's going to be gone one day. <laughs> Lord have mercy. It's called old age. But I said, I keep telling him he's committing adultery. But it doesn't bother him. You know, he's bound. Whoever commits sin is the slave of sin. But you know what the Bible says? You know what the Bible says in Philippians 4.13? When you come to Christ, yeah, there are battles you've got to fight. But it says, I can do all things by struggling. That's not what it says. I can do all things by striving and trying to do. No, listen to what it says. I can do all things through Christ who is my strength. Did you hear me? It didn't say I can quit drinking and I can get off drugs and I can get watching pornography by, by my own power. It says, but I'll tell you one thing, I can do all things through Jesus Christ who is my strength. Praise God. I'm weak. I want you to know that. I am real weak. But Jesus is strong. Boy, I thought about this verse in Proverbs chapter... Um, 5, verses 21 and 22. I want you to listen to this. I see it all the time. It breaks my heart. 
by the time they come to talk to me, they're already wrapped in the cords of their sin. They're wrapped. It says in Proverbs 5, 21, listen to this. The ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord. He ponders all his paths. His own iniquities will entrap the wicked. Listen to that. His own iniquities will entrap the wicked. He will be caught in the cords of his own sin. It's like every time that you sin, you wrap another cord around you. And you commit that sin and you wrap another cord around you. And you commit that sin and you wrap another cord around you. And then one day you say, well, I'm, I'm walking away from that. And you start trying to walk away. But there's just one problem. There's those cords that have you bound. And you find that you can't walk away. The wicked shall be held by the cords of his own sin. But you see, the good news is Jesus came to set us free. He came to set us free. I love, you know, there's a warning about what you set before your eyes. In Psalm 101, verse 3, I just want to read this. I feel like you need to see that it does matter what you look at. Psalm 101, verse 3. All right, it says this. All right, there's 101, right? Here it is, verse 3. I will set, not, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. What part of that do I not understand? I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those that fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. I'll tell you. Philippians 4.13. John 8.36. You know what John 8.36 says? If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I got good news for you. I don't care what you're addicted to. I don't care what you're bound to. I don't care. I tell you right now, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ can set you free. All you've got to do is surrender to him and cry out to him and stay close to him and look to him. If you need others to pray with you, get them to pray with you. But I want to tell you right now, the only reason you won't be free is that you won't absolutely surrender to Jesus Christ. He can set you free. I believe the Bible's true. And I've known hundreds and thousands of people that Jesus has set free. They're not the people they used to be. Praise God. The gospel is not without power. Who said Jesus couldn't change a man? Who said Jesus couldn't change a woman? People full of unbelief. But I want to tell you right now, I don't know where you are and what you're battling, but the Son of God will set you free. And you just got to absolutely throw yourself upon him. Jesus will set us free from addiction. Galatians 5.22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and listen, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. The Holy Spirit enables you to have self-control. Well, I'm just out of control, Brother Fred. Well, you're not walking in the Spirit because the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Control. All right, just got to, I, I only got two more. Okay. Jesus came to set you free. 
from discouragement and despair and hopelessness to a life of encouragement and hope. He came to set you free from a life of discouragement, despair, and hopelessness to a life of encouragement and hope. You know, every now and then, for no reason, I just find myself getting discouraged. I don't know what it is. Maybe I shouldn't eat that tomato sandwich at night. I don't know. But I, I, I wake up sometimes, and everything's dark and gloomy. But it's really not. But you know, sometimes you can just have a spirit of discouragement come on you. And kind of despair. And you say, what, what is this? I, I don't know how to explain it. But I tell you what, you don't have to live with it. Jesus came to set us free from that despair and that discouragement and that hopeless feeling to give us encouragement and to give us hope. You know, after Jesus was crucified, Mary, Mary uh, Magdalene appeared to Mary Magdalene. And in Mark chapter 16, verses 10 and 11, it says that... Uh, she went and told those who had been with him. Now get this. These were the disciples as they mourned and wept. Here were the disciples. They watched Jesus be crucified, wrapped in clothes and buried in a tomb. And they were just in a room and they were mourning. They were mourning. And they were weeping. They were discouraged, full of despair and hope. But Mary said, listen, I just saw him. He's alive. He told me to tell you. But you know what the Bible says? They didn't believe. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they, did, they, they didn't believe. Now listen, if Jesus was still in the tomb, I'd be discouraged. If he was still in the grave, I'd, I'd be full of despair. But listen, he's not. He's alive. He's alive. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's alive in us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Christ lives in me. So what do I do? Give in to the discouragement and the despair? Or do I say, no, no, Jesus is greater. My future is in his hands. He is in control. I, I, I am not the victim of circumstances. I mean, Jesus is my Lord and Master and he is in charge of my life. And you don't have to give in to discouragement. You know what I love about Luke 4.18? You know what I love about it? He came to preach the gospel to the poor. To heal the brokenhearted. To deliver the captives. To give sight to the blind. But listen to the last thing. He came to lift up those that were downtrodden. What a picture. Here's somebody that they just beat down and downtrodden and discouraged and full of despair. And it says Jesus came to lift up the downtrodden. That's part of Luke 4.18. He came to lift up the discouraged and the hopeless. Boy, I love this. You, you want to see what Jesus wants to do when you're discouraged and downhearted? Listen at Isaiah 
61.3. By the way, 61.1 is a prophecy of, that's fulfilled in Luke 4.18. But listen to what it says. Now, if you're discouraged, you're full of despair, and you don't have any hope, listen. He says in verse 3 of Isaiah 61, to console those who mourn, to console those who mourn, to give them beauty for ashes. You say, Brother Fred, my life's just a pile of ashes. To give them beauty for ashes. Listen to this. To give you the oil of joy for mourning. The oil of joy for mourning. Hey, you, you can't stop the mourning. That's part of life. But Jesus wants to give you the oil of joy for mourning. And listen to this. He wants to give you the spirit of praise for the garment of heaviness. You got, you got up and you just got a garment of heaviness on you. And Jesus wants to give you the spirit of praise for the garment of heaviness. That they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that they may be glorified. Hey, Jesus can set you free from hopelessness, despair, and discouragement. He can give you the garment of praise. He can give you the oil of joy for mourning. It's all in Christ. You know, Romans 15, 13 says, And the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, here's the last one. You say, praise the Lord. Okay. You need to hear this one, though. I'm talking about freedom. True freedom. True freedom that's found in Christ. It's not what Jesus just saved us from. It's what Jesus saved us to. It's not just what Jesus took out of our life. It's what Jesus brings into our life. He takes us from bondage to freedom. And listen, folks. Hey, I'm, I'm excited about what Jesus takes us out of. But I'm more excited about what Jesus takes us to. He makes a difference in our life. Here's the last thing. He, Jesus came to set us free from this world's view of success to, 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 to what true success really is. See, Jesus came and said, now this is what the world calls success. But, you know, I'm going to tell you, that's, that's not true. Don't, don't, don't you get in bondage to the world's definition of success. Let, let me tell you what true success is. I want to free you to a life of true success. And so we read in Matthew 16, 16. What a tremendous verse this is. In Matthew 16, 16, Jesus talks about uh, what uh, the world sees as success. In Matthew 16, verse 26, Matthew 16, Verse 26 says, are you ready? What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? It's like this. The world's view of success is this. Power, prestige, riches, Material goods, man, he's a success. He has a lot of power. Wow, he's got a lot of prestige. Man, boy, that guy's got money. And, 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 and uh, uh, power, prestige, <clears throat> riches, and materialism. 
And by the way, you know, God does give people places of power. And if they use it for the glory of God and for the honor of Jesus, and they don't lord it over people, but they take that position of power and use it for God's glory, hallelujah. God promotes and God demotes. And God can give a person prestige. But you, if you ever think that's what counts, if that's what's important to you, you've missed it. You've missed it. That's not it at all. And it's nothing wrong with being successful and having money. Nothing wrong with that. You know the problem with money? Nothing wrong with money until money has you. You can have money and it not have you. But when you have money and it has you, you are in serious trouble. Hey, nothing wrong with material things. I like a comfortable chair. You know? I mean, I like nice things. Hey, you know, God just gives us all things richly to enjoy, and he blesses us materially. But if material things have you, you've missed it. Success is not power, prestige, riches, and material things. That's not it. That's what the world says is it, I promise you. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, we're impressed. Somebody said the richest people in America are the Walton family. They only have $156 billion. You know how much, you, how much of, the, of it they're going to leave when they die? All of it. You ever seen a U-Haul behind a hearse? Job said it, was, said it well. Naked I came into this world. Naked I shall go out. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. If God has blessed you materially, I am thankful. And I pray that you'll be a good steward. But that's not what success is. Let me tell you what success is. Success is no, uh, success is loving God and loving people. You know, there are two great commandments. You know, there are two. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and your strength. That's the great commandment now. If you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, man, that's success. And, and the other is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know what success is? Loving God and loving people. If you love God, you can handle power. If you love God, you can handle prestige. If you love God, you can handle riches. Because you love him and you love people. And that's not your God. Success is not your God. You know what Paul said his goal in life was? He said, it doesn't matter to me whether I live or die. He says, but as long as I'm in this body, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, my goal is to please God. You know what success is? You please God. Where in your work, in your marriage, success is pleasing God. It's loving God, loving people. It's pleasing God. Listen, God, God, God gave you the gifts he gave you, and he wants you to use them. But listen, it's all about for his glory, and it's a matter of pleasing him. To whom much is given, much is required. You know, the only thing that's eternal, the only thing that is eternal. Let me give you one verse, though. i got to read this verse. In 1 Timothy... I want you to listen to it, and I'm going to move on. This is a very strong verse. I was meeting with um, a, some people at the bank that I do business with, 
And I'm not their major customer, I want you to know that. But anyway, <laughs> but uh, we were sitting around the table. And I said, well, there's one verse. This was right after the recession began when everything went tanked, you know. And everybody lost all the money that was in their house and all that kind of stuff. And it, it, was, it, it was bad. It really wasn't good. I, you know, I said, you know, folks, I said, uh, there's a verse that really applies to the day we're living in. This was during, right after everything tanked and you know, everything was bad and housing and all, you know, the banks went bankrupt, all that kind of mess. Here it is. I said, this is, this we ought to let this sober us. Command those, this is 1 Timothy uh, 6, 17. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty or trust in uncertain riches. You mean riches are uncertain? I thought they were permanent. Warn those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor trust in uncertain riches but to trust in the living God woo, who gives us all things to enjoy. God give us all things to enjoy. We're to love him. And then this is the last. The only thing that's eternal is the will of God. So if you do the will of God, you're a success. Whatever, you're, whatever the will of God is for you. 1 John 2, 17 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, is of the world. And here it is. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God of God abides forever. Woo! You want to be a success? Do the will of God. And you will abide forever.